It is Monday, June 12th, and God, is it warm. It's warm, it's warm, it's hot, I tells you. I have informed the, 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 the Joint Chiefs, so I have. I've spoken to the Joint Chiefs. I said we're moving to Aircon 4. Aircon 4. Thank God for air conditioning. Not too bothered about climate change today. Hope you had a good weekend. Thanks, as always, for finding me this Monday. I think I have an interesting programme lined up for you, so let's do it then. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. And I'd love you to reach out to me during the programme via the Richie Allen Show app. Via the app, you can message the studio directly. Please do that. I'd like to hear from you today. Otherwise, use the website to do it. Comment live on the website, richieallen.co.uk. It is absolutely scorching. 29 and a half degrees outside the studio here in Salford Port. Apparently, thunderstorms bringing lots of rain are on the way for the next couple of hours. But apparently, it isn't going to cool things down. I'm guessing it's pretty warmer you are because it's warm across the country. Uh, summer is certainly here now. There is no doubt about that. I've got a very interesting first hour for you today. Here's something that affects millions of people in the country, and I knew very little about that. Let me tell you, about 10 million Britons own their own homes through leasehold. So they don't really own them. They own their homes without entirely owning them. And because of the leasehold situation, they have to pay extra charges for ground rent, service fees and leasehold extensions. Now, last month, speaking in the Commons, Lisa Nandy, who's Labour's shadow levelling up secretary, spoke about this and called it a scandal hiding in plain sight. She was referring to the practices of some property managing agents. Millions of people affected by it. And I thought to myself, if millions of people are affected affected even by it in the UK, the chances are it'll be affecting listeners to or of the Richie Allen show. So, amazingly enough, um, Philip Crawford reached out to the programme. Philip's a really interesting man. He's campaigning on this because he's going through the nightmare of dealing with management companies himself. Um, he leases a flat, long-term lease, and his story is quite remarkable. So Philip Cronford will join the programme this hour. And this is really educational for me because I didn't realise any of this stuff was going on. It might affect you, so if it does, drop a message via the usual methods that I've already said. I've given you how to do it, the app or the website, and I will put a question or two to Philip. And the rest of the programme, by the way, is a work in progress. <laughs> The rest of the programme is a work in progress, so there will be a second hour, but I just don't know what's going to happen in it yet. But there will be a second hour. Stay with me. So I had a nice weekend. I had a nice weekend. Went to see, if you didn't hear the Morning Melodies programme yesterday, it might not be your thing. Went to see, what's his name, Roger Waters out of the arena on Friday. Um, a couple of times a year, the radio show has to treat the engineer extraordinaire Paul Ripley. Got to bring him out, got to keep him on site, keep him sweet. Went to see Roger Waters with Paul. Paul, as I speak, is listening to this while he is rearranging the homestead. He's moving around things. 
and he's listening to this. Good evening, Paul. We had a great night Friday night. He preferred the music to me, but anywho. So you had a good uh, good weekend, nice and chilled. I hope yours was good too. Now, so think about leaseholding then and management companies. National scandal, apparently. Yeah, not, not a lot of coverage of this on the media. And that's one of the reasons my guest, Philip Crawford, will join me this there. That's what we're here for on the Richie Allen Show. When the media is ignoring you, we are the last, we are the last refuge for people who need to say something and need some sort of a platform anyway. I put out a tweet yesterday that was, I, you see, I had a couple of cans of beer yesterday and I was listening to RTE Radio 1. I listened to the Limerick and Clare Munster final game. Well done, Limerick. Abu, Limnoch, Limnoch Abu. And I enjoyed that. It was lovely. It took me back years listening to the wireless. Radio 1, listening to the hurling. And I had a couple of cans of lager. Not too many. Just chilling out. And things occurred to me that I think are funny. They never are funny, really. But they occurred to me. I thought I would put a tweet out saying that I had joined Just Stop Oil and that I would be blocking traffic on Deansgate in Manchester from 3pm to 9pm today for the future of our children. It went down like a lead balloon in some quarters. Like some listeners to the programme took it literally, that I had somehow done a 180 degree on climate change and I was going into Deansgate to block traffic when I should be on air speaking to you. I was making reference to the fact that as we speak, Manchester City, the best football team on planet Earth at the moment, like it or lump it, um, they are parading their not one, not two, but three trophies in Manchester City centre. So my mine was a silly little gag. Let's try and spoil City's party. But a lot of people took it literally. <laughs> literally, I've had a few abusive emails. I'm not supporting you anymore. I've cancelled my support, said one person. I better keep my mouth shut from now on. Boris Johnson resigned as MP Friday. He, it's, it's believed that Johnson, the former Prime Minister, knows what is going to be in Sue Gray's lockdown party report and that he's jumping early, taking the easy way out. Does it matter? Is it nonsense? Is it distraction? I don't know. What is funny, though, is that one of his nominees for the House of Cards, Charlotte Owen, she's basically little more than an amoeba. In terms of political experience, this woman is an amoeba, if that makes any sense. She's going to become the country's youngest life peer in history after Rishi Sunak gave his approval to Boris Johnson's honours list on Friday, just before Johnson resigned. Now, this woman is going to be a life peer, right? You know what they do in the House of Lords? They scrutinise legislation that has passed the House of Commons and they decide whether or not to rubber stamp it. So you'd like to think that experienced men and women would sit in the House of Lords. I know, I know, I know. I'm not stupid. The House of Lords is full to the brim of fat, old, lazy pricks who snore and fart their way through the afternoons. They can often be seen on the webcams that are placed in the House of Lords, snoring and snoozing when they should be scrutinising legislation. And for their trouble, I'd love to go to a little chamber and have a snooze in the afternoon after I've quaffed a few brandies at lunchtime and get £300 for it. A day. That's what they get. It's probably more. It was £300 three years ago. Anyway, this little amoeba thing, this little... Anyway, graduated from the University of York in 2015. 
in politics and international relations. She didn't get a first. She got a 2-1. What sort of a dipstick fails to get a first in politics and international relations? You have to be as thick as mince, right? Anyway, she did a couple of little jobs for Boris Johnson and Liz Truss. She was an intern and a parliamentary assistant. And now the little bibe. A bibe, by the way, is an Irish... It's a creature of Irish folklore. A bibe. Now the little bibe is going to be in the House of Lords. Yeah. What is she? 26, 27... 28? I have no idea. Mad stuff. Let's leave it. Let's leave it. I wonder how close was she to Boris Johnson? What are you insinuating, Baldy? Nothing. Other than Westminster is a cesspit, isn't it? It stinks. It stinks. There has never been a more wretched hive of scum and villainy as Westminster. BBC News this morning. This is serious. Would you like to hear this? BBC News. Would you like to hear it? Very serious stuff, this. You know... Ah, sure, this way lies tyranny. Here is BBC News. Go on, then. The UK's head of counter-terrorism policing says that he's concerned about the growth of the British conspiracy theory movement. Right, let's hear that again from the start. The UK's head of counter-terrorism policing says that he's concerned about the growth of the British conspiracy theory movement. Yeah, counter-terrorism police. The top man is worried about conspiracy theories on the internet. Matt Jukes has told the BBC that his team is seeking evidence of conspiracy theories being interwoven with extremism. Ah, it it sounded so good just for a moment, didn't it? It sounded so good for a moment. Being interwoven with extremism. Let's hear that again, because it sounded good just for a second, didn't it? It it made sense there. Conspiracy theories being... Yeah, yeah, go back a bit further, Baldy. Stop messing now. His team is seeking evidence of conspiracy theories. Just leave it there. His team is seeking evidence of conspiracy theories. Great. Being interwoven with extremism. Mm. Our disinformation and social media correspondent, Mariana Spring, has more. Uh, Mariana Spring, she's everywhere. Totnes in Devon was one of the places where the conspiracy theory movement boomed during the pandemic. Now, a motivated minority continue to protest and distribute the light paper. Access to your money will be owned by and controlled by the state. Former town mayor Ben Piper says he's become a key target for the movement. By the way, the lady speaking on the megaphone was speaking truth. Digital currencies, everything you do will be tracked, will be monitored, will be recorded. And the owner or the operator of the digital currency gets to determine whether you are permitted or not permitted to spend your money. So everything she said there on that megaphone in Tottenham was actually correct, ironically. So what about this mayor, Ben Piper? He fears an article about him in the light paper exacerbated the harassment he experienced. This is dangerous stuff now. This mayor, Ben Piper, is claiming that something that was written in this free paper known as The Light exacerbated harassment against him. The article didn't encourage any harassment of the mayor, didn't ask people to go and chase the mayor or send the mayor messages, but um, he... feels that the article exacerbated the harassment. I've had uh, people drive their car at me. I've been shouted at the street. Hang on, you've had people drive their car at you. Why didn't we read about that in the papers? Why didn't we hear about it in the news? That's a serious crime. You might say that's attempted murder. I've had people confront me in the supermarket shoving their phones in my face. Sinister telephone calls. Sinister telephone calls. If you're getting telephone calls, you'll be the first mayor in history that is taking telephone calls at home. From strangers who don't identify themselves in mm. of an evening. Uh, of an evening, again, right, at home. Don't know of any mayors who's 
Home telephone numbers are public. Um, and stuff like that. As well as more mundane articles, there are others promoting disinformation about vaccines, the financial system and climate change. Very important that last bit by Mariana Spring. Other articles promoting disinformation about vaccines and climate change. And this is how they do what they do. She doesn't give an example. You see, back in the day when I was trained up, you couldn't make a blanket statement like that. You would have to provide an example. For example, this statement here. And of course, I would argue there's a good reason why Spring doesn't give an example of the disinformation she alleges has been published in the Light newspaper because... I'm guessing that what was published in the light paper about the dangers of the COVID-19 mRNA vaccines is probably right on. You see, this is how they do what they do. Now, before I go any further, I have reached out to Mariana Spring and invited her on this programme. I said, Mariana, I hope this finds you well. I present a daily online news show. It has a wide reach. He says modestly. I put that in brackets. I was wondering if you might be interested in coming on with me to discuss your role at the BBC and also what BBC Verify is and aims to achieve. My style is conversational. Typically, I connect via Skype, WhatsApp or telephone. If you're interested, I'll offer you some dates. Now, she didn't get back to me. She won't get back to me, you see. It's not going to happen. Mariana Spring coming on this programme. Wouldn't want to be asked the questions I would be asking Mariana Spring. Let's hear a little bit more of this hit piece of the Light newspaper. Now, the guy who publishes the Light newspaper is a guy called Darren Nesbitt. Two and a half years ago, I interviewed him about the paper. Um, he seemed okay. That was that. I haven't spoken to him since. I am not connected to him. I have nothing to do with him or the paper. Right? So, I'm not speaking from any position there now where I've got anything, any dog in the fight, as it were. But this is terrible stuff, this nonsense here. Let's hear a bit more of it then, I suppose. One recent article talks about the use of force against aggressors like the government. In print and on its Telegram channels, there are calls for war crime-style trials for MPs, medics and journalists they see as complicit in plots to harm people with the vaccine. Right, so somebody's written an article in this paper and they imagine a scenario in the future where people will be put on trial for crimes against humanity during COVID and for the vaccine rollout. Now, I think this is fanciful. I don't believe there ever will be any Nuremberg-type trials. This, to me, is emotive and jingoistic language from whoever wrote the article. But it's not that serious, is it? Like, they haven't named anybody specifically, have they? And said, you're going to hang, have they? No, they haven't. I went to meet the editor of The Light, Darren Nesbitt. The build-up to this interview has been pretty hostile um, and uh, Darren has insisted that he will ask me questions. Pretty hostile, she says. Hearsay. Your Honour, objection, hearsay. It's been pretty hostile, but she offers no evidence. None. She says that the guy, Darren Nesbitt, agreed to do the interview so long as he could ask me questions after she said the, uh, the, the build-up was hostile. But where's the evidence? Why was it hostile? Have you got any text messages between you and Darren Nesbitt? Have you got anything to prove that it was hostile? I've seen this guy. I mean, I only know him from the one interview I did with him. I've seen him once or twice on little snippets of video on Twitter, and he seems to be very laid back to me. He doesn't come across as being very hostile. Um, as well as me asking him questions. We believe in the right, right of people to hold ideas, uh, hold thoughts, ideas, and, 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 and express their views. You know, if you take one iota from that away, 
Um, we're, we're now down the road of, of, of censorship, of thought control. Well done, absolutely. We believe in people's right to share their opinions and to speak their mind. If you remove any of that, you're into serious, dangerous territory, aren't you? Seriously dangerous territory. You're into fascism, totalitarianism, whatever you want to call it. Let people say what's on their mind. Let's have a big chat about it. Do you think that calls for action in the paper, for people to take action right. to do something, could result in action that is not peaceful. Of course, I mean, you know, people make people make their own decisions, and they need to be responsible for their own actions. People should not be passive and just let the world, you know, change around them, um, because there is, you know, an agenda and a purpose behind it, and it's not for their own best interest. And again, she's taken this um, article out of context, where people are calling for action. By action, they mean people to rally together, and come together in protest, or come together to formulate ideas as to how we can get ourselves out of this dystopian shit show. You know, she couldn't provide any evidence that the call to action in the paper was a call to violence because there was no calls. I've had a look through these articles, by the way. There's no call for violence or for for kidnapping anybody uh, or arresting anybody. Just calls for action. People need to do something. They can't sit around and watch the prison being built around them. And he said people are responsible for their own actions. He's not advocating violence, you see. Yeah. The light is also related to a German paper called Democratic Resistance. Whistleblowers have revealed to me how some of the German paper's writers and one of its key donors met with members of the Reichsberger Group, who were behind a failed coup attempt in Germany in December 2022. Do you hear that? That's disgusting, right? She says the light newspaper is connected to a newspaper in Germany and some of the people connected to the newspaper in Germany were connected to a group that were um, somehow responsible for attempting to enact a coup against the German government. That's like five degrees of separation. So you, Mr Nesbitt, and the people who write for and distribute the light paper, you are connected to some guys who tried to overthrow the German government. I mean, this is... Don't swear today, it's the first day of the week. This is horse shit. I mean, it really is. It's beyond, I mean, this, this, is, this is beyond undignified. It's, it's, it's beyond, you know, a first year journalism student wouldn't, or wouldn't in my day anyway, have had any time for this sort of nonsense. Um, I've no dog in the fight until today. I hadn't read the newspaper for two years only because I it doesn't arrive in Salford, or at least not in my neighbourhood, and I don't have time to be reading online newspapers because I'm very busy. It's not because I don't like it, I just don't have the time to read it. So I looked at some of the stuff today. Some of it is interesting, some of it is, is, is enlightening, some of it is a bit immature and a bit old, but hey... It seems to me to be all right, like. But uh, they decided to have a go at this. Mariana Spring, not so recently, maybe two years, maybe less, the um, BBC's disinformation reporter. I know there is an irony there. Disinformation reporter for the BBC. I made the point when she was appointed, when they... When they, when they dreamt up this position, I made the point that if she wants to find this information, she needs only go next door to the office next door to hers. Look across the hall, love. Go downstairs to the floor where they produce the news programmes. It's this information round the clock. It is uh, 19 and a half minutes past the hour of five. Pretty nasty that, isn't it? Where that's going, you know? And we've had it. We've had it on this programme 
you know, potential guests being chased away because of some of the other guests who have appeared on this programme in the past. Don't go on the Richie Allen show because he has platformed this person and if you go on that programme, we'll say that you approve of the views of a person you never met who came on a programme three years ago. It's all very dangerous. And it's tied in, of course, with the online safety bill. It's coming out as fast now, isn't it? Anyway, let's briefly talk about the COVID inquiry. Because Peter Hitchens, by the way, I know Hitchens is an old bollocks as well. But he's, um, you know, like a broken clock. He's right twice a day. He was alarmed, he said today, to hear that the COVID inquiry has taken evidence from Independent Stage. Do you remember Independent Stage? Now, let's talk about Stage for a moment. Stage was the official committee advising government on COVID response. Independent Sage set up all by themselves, professors and academics, to scrutinise Sage. And if you remember, they were far, far more draconian in their approach. They wanted harder and faster lockdowns and restrictions on people's lives. So why the hell would the COVID inquiry want to hear from them? Peter Hitchens tells all to Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's dispiriting news about the inquiry this morning in the Telegraph, mm. saying that they've actually asked people from Independent Sage, which was a body pressing for, for, for longer and tighter lockdowns, yeah. to give evidence. Now, I don't know, I, maybe it's just they haven't told me, but I haven't heard of anybody on the lockdown sceptic side having been asked to give evidence to this inquiry. No. Have they already bought mm. what I've always said they would buy, that the, the belief that if only we'd locked down harder and sooner it would have been better? Uh, is this going to be... I think that will inquiry? be part of the questions that, 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 that are asked. If, if that, those are, are your assumptions, then yeah. the, the inquiry might as well wind up now, because right. there's no point in holding it. Exactly right. Um, because these were the same people who said that 400,000 people would die, and they got it so far off and wrong that they should never be consulted again about anything. Yeah, I... Well... <laughs> sorry. No, no, I... I, I I'm... I'm the, 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 this was... I, I remember... Quoting, actually, interesting enough, a, a vet who'd been involved in the foot and mouth on overreaction and, and, yes, and misreaction. Yes, which was also Neil Ferguson, wasn't it? Yeah, and he and he was saying that Ferguson was uh, was 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 not a person whose presence in the in the planning system he welcomed. Right. He, he, and, and, and this, I put this criticism in the article I wrote very early on, I think March twentieth right. of twenty twenty. Uh, and I've never had any reaction to it. He was an experienced professional person who'd been involved with Ferguson in, in, in just such things, saying, mm. actually, he's not necessarily the best voice to listen to. Right. And people say, well, why should we listen to you? I said, I was never asking you to listen to me. I was taking people who had expertise in this, such as him and, mm. and John Ioannidis, uh, who knew what they were talking about, saying, they are saying, even now, this is this is doubtful. Yeah. But the, the whole, but Ferguson the whole never got anything still right. seems to be... Uh, that it was fundamentally it was right. It's only the conduct of yeah. it that's open to, to... And if that's the way it's going, as I say, forget it. Yeah, forget it. It'll be a whitewashed job. What is it about people who attend fee-paying schools that, in, in many cases, they are so inarticulate? I know, I know. Irony. I get it. Irony. I can, at the best of times, be pretty inarticulate myself, but not as bad as that. You hear him, you hear Boris Johnson. Um, Gail, hi, Gail who says, Richie, some people don't have a sense of humour. Have you watched the Gallows Pole TV series? It's a true story of resistance set in the 1760s in Yorkshire, directed by Shane Meadows of This Is England fame, starring Michael Sosha, among others. Thanks, Gail. I didn't hear of that, but thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Kev says, Mariana Spring is full of... 
shite. All her interviews with the people of Totnes and the Light newspaper were recorded by independent individuals and are available to view on Rumble. The people were nothing but courteous and transparent. Yes, I saw a little bit of it. And uh, it's a long thing. It's a couple of hours long. I saw a few minutes of it. Seemed to be very courteous. Like I said, this guy, Darren Nesbitt. I don't want to refer to him as this guy. He, he was on this programme a couple of years ago. He came across as a nice guy. We had a nice chat. In fact, I reached out to him today to, 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 to let him know I was going to be talking about this if he wanted to come on and have a chat. But I didn't hear back from him. No problem. It's, um, it, it is rubbish, this. I'll tell you how bad it is, right? Obviously, this is part of a new podcast by this woman, Mariana Spring. But the BBC News website has covered this. Do you want me to read the headline on the BBC News website for you? Well, I read the headline. The headline reads, The Light. Inside the UK's conspiracy theory newspaper that shares violence and hate. That might very well be actionable. That is nonsense. It's disgusting garbage. It doesn't share violence and hate. It shares opinions. Opinion pieces written by people, as I said, some well-written, some a bit immature, but that's the same in any newspaper. Some very interesting, some a bit, well, we know that. We, you know, we, we've known that a long time. But I think what the light newspaper wants to do, I, don't, I can't speak for it, obviously. It's not targeting somebody like me and it's not targeting somebody like you. It's looking to get into the homes of people who have never heard of the alternative media and maybe have never heard of some of the things we discuss on this programme. But hate and violence... It's not sharing hate and violence. It's nonsense. It's 25 and a half minutes past the hour. It is time for me to uh, dial up our guest this hour anyway. I don't know what's going to happen in the next hour, but we'll see how it goes. He's very interesting. And this is a very interesting story that isn't getting much national media attention. Leaseholders, management companies or agencies, the scourge of leasing a flat and having to deal with these... Uh, with, 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 with these maintenance companies and management companies. Six million people, she said, Lisa Nandy, the shadow levelling up secretary, according to The Guardian, 10 million people in this country own their homes through leasehold and have to pay extra at this time as well when people have less than nothing, right? Ground rent, service fees and leasehold extensions. We'll talk in a couple of minutes to Philip Crawford about that. Your comments, your questions for Philip are very welcome through the app, the Richie Allen Show app, and of course through richieallen.co.uk. And this is Albert Hammond. I think thunderstorms are on the way here in Salford, I think. Albert Hammond, genius really, it never rains in Southern California, it's exactly half past the hour, this is serious, before we welcome Philip to the programme, can I read this from The Guardian, from the 24th of last month, property management companies would be banned from operating in England and Wales if they persistently ripped off leaseholders under plans being considered by Labour. Lisa Nandy, the Shadow Housing Secretary, excuse me, I refer to her as levelling up, Shadow Housing Secretary, is looking at proposals to clamp down on the sector amid complaints 
complaints from leaseholders about escalating fees and essential maintenance being left undone. Now, the plans which have not yet been completed are under consideration as part of a wider package to overhaul the current leasehold system, including bringing an eventual end to leaseholds altogether. Now, during a Commons debate last month, Nandy called the practices of some property managing agents, quote, a scandal hiding in plain sight End quote. Her backbench colleague Emma Hardy added, quote, There is no one regulating these companies. They're accountable to no one. Even members of parliament find it very difficult to hold them to account for their bad practice. End quote. Around 10 million Britons own their homes through leasehold and face having to pay extra charges for ground rent, service fees and leasehold extensions. Michael Gove has promised to end what he called the feudal leasehold system, but The Guardian revealed earlier last month the those plans had been watered down after Downing Street decided they would be too difficult to enact before the next election. Ministers said they intended to cap ground rents and ban property owners from charging leaseholders extortionate fees to fulfil simple requests. Labour said it would enact a phased end to the system if they were elected next year, including a ban on new developments being sold as leaseholds, scrapping any issued after 2017 and eliminating more historical versions in the longer term. Now, I came across Philip Crawford on Twitter and I could see that he was trying to get the attention of journalists and um, radio stations and TV stations because he's got his own tale to tell about leasing. Let's welcome him to the programme. Philip, welcome. It's lovely to chat with you. How are you? Yeah, great. Uh, good afternoon to you, Richard. Uh, it's a pleasure to be invited onto your show uh, to talk about uh, the issues of uh, flat living, which there are many. Um, I uh, have been involved in the leasehold industry for many years as an investor and as block manager. So I am sort of fairly well aware of what's required uh, by solicitors when flat owners choose to sell their property. Um, the, the, the main problem I feel is that managing agents are not regulated, as you've said before, and it was quoted in The Guardian. And by the fact that they're not regulated, it means they're not accountable. So when anyone who's not qualified can set up as a managing agent and manage a block of flats. But there is, um, the, the Companies Act governs limited companies, as you're probably aware. The leasehold advisory service are not in a position and not able to advise leaseholders on the Companies Act. And yet most managing agents are incorporated as limited companies. So the, the government service that's provided to assist leaseholders, which is free, uh, their remit is on the Landlord Tenants Act as opposed to the Companies Act. So it's more the Companies Act, which is more relevant to managing agents, and the leasehold tribunal again is the Landlord Tenants Act. So. Philip, can we can um, we can we go through of... can we go through this step by step? And I want to remind I want you to I want to remind you that we've got as much time as we need, right? Because this is obviously very serious. Thank you. And it's affecting millions of people. So there's no clock here. We'll we'll go as long as we need to go. So let's start at I the very beginning. That, no, no, it's important. That. If, you, if, if you go on local radio, they'll give you six minutes, and then you can't say what you want to say. We've got all the time in the world now. So you you you. you lease a flat. How does that work? So you don't buy a flat but you lease a flat and I'm guessing 50 years, 99 years, 150 years. How does it work? 
Well, you, you, you buy a flat, which is a term of, of years certain. It could be any length of, of, of term. If it's under 80 years, then the banks are reluctant to finance it. If it's over 80 years, it may be 99. There are ways of extending leases, um, but you're effectively buying the right to occupy property for a number of years. And at the end of that term, if you didn't renegotiate an extension, you'd have to give the property back. Right. It's not like buying a freehold. If you buy a freehold, it's yours forever. But the problem is with, with, with leasehold property, and generally it's flats, it's rare to buy a freehold because it would be a flying freehold, which is uh, difficult legally. So leasehold is, is the most common form of flat ownership. Um, now, when and Philip, is this is this flats, it, sorry, is, is is it the most common because a developer will build a block of flats, and there might be sixty flats, there might be a hundred flats, and the developer says, yeah. right, all of these, all of these have to be leasehold. I mean, you can't have twenty leasehold flats and maybe eighty freehold, or maybe you can. I don't know, no. but so so they all have to be leasehold, no. and then we'll come on in a moment then to how a management company comes in because I imagine management company, your plumbing is not right, um, there's something wrong in the apartment and it's the responsibility of the owner. So you as the leaseholder will call in the management company. So we'll come to that in a moment then. So yeah. this, this is the reason why the flats are leasehold because developers build 100 in a block or 200 in a block and they're leasehold only. That's how th this comes about, right? So then you go and Generally, buy the lease. that's the way it's been. Yeah. They've granted long leases to individual buyers They've retained the freehold and then they've either sold the freehold off or they've kept the freehold and kept control of the management. But generally, another problem is that the freeholds were sold off to third parties without the leaseholders being given the option to buy the freehold. Um, it was sold off behind their back. So it went to people like I mean, Ted, Ted Wimpy sold them off to um, to ground rent owners and, and, and various other companies, offshore companies, etc. Um, but, but generally, the, for the most part, leasehold is the form of ownership, uh, of flat ownership. Um, what's been proposed is, is common hold, in which case flat owners will have a share in the freehold. But the problem is that the leases that have been granted retrospectively they can't be all bought in and altered. You can't alter retrospectively leases that have been um, sold off many years ago. Um, it's too big a job, and, and, and that's the problem. So, so leasehold exists. It doesn't work very well. Um, solicitors have been, been wary of, of people buying leasehold when you've got unscrupulous managing agents, which we'll go on to, as you said, in a minute. Yeah. Um, but but uh, it's 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 not like buying a freehold house. You are buying when you buy a flat. You are buying a share of the responsibility of the communal areas. So if, for instance, there's twelve flats in a block, and you buy one flat, you are responsible for a twelfth of the communal repairs, right. insurance, and everything to do with the the shell of the building and the garden. And all everything that's communal. 
And a, ma- and a management company will look after this. So everybody in the block of flats will make a payment to cover the management company's fees on a monthly basis. I had a little bit of experience of this. Yeah, when when, when we lived in Spain, we didn't lease the apartment. We rented it, but we did have that, you know, responsibility. We had to pay these fees for the gardening and for the rubbish and all the rest of it. So I, I have some experience of this. So I would have thought this would be pretty straightforward then. The management company would come in when only when needed to come in to repair something or other. And you guys then cover their fees, as you said, a twelfth of it, or if there's sixty flats, one sixtieth. Where does That's this right. where does this start to become problematic then? Because I can't get my head around it. Well, it depends on the quality of the management company. A professional management company will run it correctly and they will force people to pay what they owe. Sometimes flat owners don't have the money, they can't pay. And so therefore other people have to subsidize them, which isn't correct. But a professional management company will run it in the way that they can pull all the money in that's needed to do the necessary repairs, do the accounts and pay the insurance. A company who aren't as knowledgeable and familiar with the protocol of managing will not be as efficient because they're not able to go down the right road to run the building properly. As I said, anyone can set up as a management company and can manage a block of flats, whether they've got experience, whether they're qualified, or whether they have no experience. And I have, have, have written to ministers many, many times, housing ministers, about regulation, but it's not happened. It's not regulated but, at all now, you're saying, management. So, Well, the, there are property redress schemes from the ombudsman, and there's the property redress scheme, but they have no teeth. They don't have, their remit is too narrow. So they're not really fit for purpose, if I'm honest with you. Right. Um, what we really need is an ombudsman with real teeth who can who can actually take action. Trading standards have been watching what I've been doing and what's going on, and, and they stand on the sidelines. There's nothing they can do. They can't intervene. Housing ministers don't want to intervene when there's problems because they see speechy local MP, but it doesn't really work out. And a lot of leaseholders are frightened when they go to bed at night of receiving that letter the next day with an exorbitant service charge bill. And in all honesty, that managing agent who sent the bill, if it's exorbitant, no one's going to challenge them. And is there room... You can go to tribunal. Nobody's going to challenge them. And it sounds to me like there's room for management companies. Maybe I'm being a bit sensational here now. Stop me if I am. But it sounds to me like there's room for management companies to invent problems and charge leaseholders for, you know, sorting those fictional problems. Is that something that's gone on or that could go on? It goes on all the time. And I see it quite often. Uh, Costs are, are fabricated. And when they come in and the bills are in, they say, look, you've got to pay a share of that. And there's no accountability because if the management company don't get paid, then they will take it to court and the flat owner will get a CCJ. So there's a degree of fear and, you know, aggressive managing agents will put the fear of God into flat owners to frighten them 
and then they will pay because they're scared. So there's quite a bit of fear here. And there's no one really monitoring these managing agents. There's no, I mean, an ombudsman, I, I, I've dealt with the ombudsman many times, and I really, I don't think they have any proper authority to do what's necessary. And it's really, really strange why 10 successive housing ministers have never really reformed the leasehold system, which isn't working. They've never chosen to regulate managing agents. They've just, they've promised, but never delivered. And even Michael Gove has sort of deferred. The, the, the Conservatives have always got an election coming up and it's not a priority. No, and but, I imagine, you know, the people who own blocks of flats are generally tend to be pretty wealthy. They often tend to support, maybe financially, you know, the Conservative Party. I mean, that's a bit obvious, but, but th to me, there's maybe one reason why the government doesn't take this seriously. Because I, I mean, I'm stunned that th this is not affecting just you, and we'll talk a bit about your own personal situation in a minute, but, but millions of people are in this situation where they're being charged that's right. extortionate fees yeah. and they don't even know if the fees are justified, if any real maintenance work needed to be carried out. And they're worried about, as you just explained to us there a moment ago, you know, ending up with a CCJ, a county court judgment, which of course will impact on their ability to get a loan. Absolutely. Or do, this is mad Absolutely. stuff This going on. I didn't realise this. And somebody has just sent a message to me through the app there and they're wondering about why so many people would choose to lease. Now, I would venture a guess why people would choose to lease, but, but you tell us why. Why do so many people opt for the lease, the apartment option rather than get a two up, two down, freehold terrace or a semi-detached? Why the flat? Well, for so many, you know, there's two in Britain. There's two types of accommodation. There's, there's flat living, or there's um, there's house living. If you would, if you want to share with other people and share hall areas, you live in apartments. I, I live in apartments. I live in in Altrincham in in a big block of apartments, and I um, I'm happy to to live where I do for the position, um, for the view. I'm on the fifth floor for various reasons. The type of building I'm in, it's just apartments. There's no houses. I think people in, in the city centres, people are forced to live in apartments yeah. because there aren't many houses. And then once perhaps they want to have a family, they'll move out into the suburbs so they can have a garden. They can have a house and they can have a garden. It's not the sort of thing you can have in a city centre. No. So when you're single, perhaps you'll start off with a flat. As a couple, you might continue with a flat, but when you want to have a baby and a family, you'll probably want a garden because that's nice for a family and it's quieter and you've got your own entrance and it's more peaceful. Flat living is, is a style of living that doesn't suit everybody. Um, but I think it suits younger people when they are first starting out, um, either as a couple or as an individual. And obviously, house prices are a factor. Yeah. Flats are cheaper than houses and we do have a problem in with the housing market every year there's a shortage of new houses so when the big insurance companies are promising and are building 500 units at a time that's very attractive to the government legal and general for instance will build 500 flats at a time and 
someone, you know, smaller landlords are not in that league. Um, so really, it's it's the, the LNGs of this world, Allianz and the big companies that the governments are sort of sponsoring to make up the shortfall of the shortage of houses each year. Problem being is that more people want houses and there are less houses being built than flats because in city centres it's cheaper to build flats. You can build more flats in the city centre because you can go up houses you obviously can't. So, you know, we, we, we've got an ongoing housing problem with a shortage of houses and a leasehold situation, which really is has been um, is been outdated and yet nothing's been done about it. Um, I think the system that's 400 years old, it's not so easy to reform a system of that age. Um, in no other country in the world do they have a problem of leasehold and freehold. Do you believe Labour? Philip, do you, do you believe the Labour Party when it says if it forms the next government, it will deal with this? I don't believe they will. It's, it's, it's an attempt at uh, getting, getting votes. It's not an easy problem. It's a, it's a difficult problem because you can't retrospectively change the law. You can't retrospectively change all the leases that are granted. For instance, a person that bought a lease five years ago, their lease is never going to be changed. They might have bought a 99-year lease. Maybe there's 94 years left on it. That lease will never be changed. So it really is a big, big problem. And I... Labour's promise to reform is a bit futile um, in that others have tried, promised and not delivered. Um, but they could at least, but, but, uh, if they couldn't reform the system itself in terms of how leases are constructed and how they are sold, they, they could at the very least deal with this horrendous problem of, of management companies. It's funny this, isn't it? Like we talked about this last week and I mentioned we were going to be talking about it and I've just been inundated. I cannot believe this as, as much as I have for any subject from people who are in round about my age. Around about my, I'm 48 now, Philip. We've got Philip Crawford on the line. And yes. Philip, Philip, Philip is campaigning on this. And so many people my age are saying, Richie, my missus and I, we, we, we have a lease on our apartment. We're in um, Warrington. We're in Chepstow. We're in Stoke. So many people affected by this. And you've really touched the nerve there when you talked about, well, I asked you the question and you said it's going on. Fraud is going on. That management companies are inventing fictional problems and charging leaseholders, you, you know, to, to, to pay them. Of course, in, in this cost of living crisis where everybody is feeling it at the moment, I don't care, I don't care who you are. And your own story fascinates me. You told me, now, I don't think we have to mention names. We can keep names out of it for the moment. But, of course. But, but, but what I will do is because one, one of the people that's involved in your case, one of your, if I can say, opponents, is working for the yeah. National Broadcaster. And I will certainly Correct. be sending a copy of this interview to this person later on and asking for a response. I don't expect to get one, but we'll have a go at it anyway. You, you said you, to me, Richie. not at all, you said to me that, and I looked this up to see if this is going on, that management companies often, and in your case this has happened, won't give company accounts to flat owners to leaseholders, right? And because of that, people cannot then sell on their lease. Tell us about That's this. correct. Tell, I mean, this is a criminal. I mean, if this is going on, this is actually criminal. Break this well, down now. it is a criminal offence. Go because on. Because it's a breach of the Companies Act. 
directors are forced by company law to provide and deliver company accounts to shareholders within seven days of them being asked. Again, it's company law. And company law is dealt with by the magistrates court and the crown courts. Um, in my opinion, I don't believe there are that many companies that don't provide accounts. In my own situation, I've been pursuing accounts for six years. Six years. Six years. I've been to court 12 times. I've got three company co company director convictions. And I still don't have my accounts. This is amazing. Can I just endorse this? Because I've seen the information. Um, Philip provided this information. He has secured convictions against three company officers for refusing to provide the details, the company accounts. And how can it be that they are, that, that the conviction is even upheld and that they still don't provide this information to you? I mean, is that not flagrantly flouting a you know, a Crown Court decision. That must be an offence it in itself. It is, but the, the decision in the Crown Court, the criminal conviction in the Crown Court, when I went to, was upheld from the criminal conviction at the Magistrates Court. The conviction is, uh, that was upheld, it was an appeal. The appeal was just futile because it's quite cut and dry, really. Section 431 of the Companies Act is very specific you, you, you request accounts under section, a section of the Landlord and Tenant Law of 1985, and within seven days they have to provide them. If you don't provide them in seven days, there's been and a breach, and it's a criminal offence. So it's not a difficult point of law. Um, it's fairly fundamental, but as I said to you beforehand, the, the government-funded leasehold advisory service, and they, they're not in a position, as lawyers and barristers, to give advice on the Companies Act. And yet, 99 times out of 100, management companies have a li limited company status. They're incorporated. So they're governed by company law. So it's a bit of a quandary. Some mess is um, what it is, Philip. I mean, this is some bloody mess. This isn't it. And it, it, it is a mess. But, but the ministers don't want to do anything. It's, it's, a, it's an old problem that's ongoing year in, year out, and nothing gets done. Plenty of people talk in, in the House of Commons, but nothing seems to get done. Now, you said we you don't, don't think it, nothing happens. So you said you don't think that it is overly common for a management company to fail to provide the company account. So most people, if we're, if, if we're fair about it, most people who have a lease, who have purchased a leasehold, if they choose to sell on their lease, they should find it pretty easy to get those company accounts in the main. It should be available. Should be if available. available, it shouldn't be difficult. Why does the... And in my, what, sorry, this, this is killing me. Why then um, is this company refusing to hand over company accounts to you. I am not Sherlock Holmes. I'm not the brightest spark in the classroom, me, Philip, well, but I've got to say that, Richie. No, but no, no, I, I, no, I wouldn't. I'm not fishing for compliments here. You don't have to, you don't have to be Columbo to think that there must be some reason they don't want to provide those accounts. Well, it's difficult to give you an answer. Um, Might incriminate them. But what, what was interesting, we spent a day in the Crown Court with one of the defendants and he tried to turn it into a circus, but there were three judges there and they could all see what was going on. 
to tell a judge in the Crown Court that accounts have been submitted to Companies House is really not acceptable because the accounts at Companies House are dormant accounts. They show no financial information. What they, they do is they provide, you give statutory accounts to Companies House so you're not fined. But they're abbreviated accounts and they give no financial information. In addition to that, uh, management companies have to provide service charge accounts. And in my experience, most of them do. This company won't. This is mad stuff. Can um, I read some comments for you, by the way, before we come back to this company and why and what it means for you? Wait till you hear this. this um, Laura says, Richie, a two up, two down where I live is £380,000. A flat is £250,000. I don't know if Laura means the lease. It must be the lease. It has to be the lease. Mark yeah. says, Mark is in Warrington. After saving for three years for a deposit, my daughter could only realistically afford an apartment. The houses available would have stretched her far too financially. Graham says, wait till you hear this. This is peculiar, this chat, Richie. He says, I was of the view ground rent meant that you owned the property, not the land. I suppose this is different. Lease rent. Is that right? Is that what ground meant rent even means? That you own the, or you have the deed, sorry, the lease to the property, not the land? No. No, explain. No, it doesn't. The, the, the freeholder, and what's interesting is, is um, there are blocks of flats where the freeholder had clauses in their lease where they were sold to flat owners and the lease and the ground rent was doubling every 20 years. So the freeholder, generally the builder, they will have a ground rent clause in the lease saying that the leaseholder has to pay X amount of pounds per year, just ground rent, 250, 50 pounds, whatever it is. So that's just a charge in addition to service charge that a flat owner has to pay. Right. And so that's the concept of ground rent. So it's a charge made by the freeholder to the leaseholder and it's just called a ground rent. Where do you hear this? Uh, this is from Alice. Serious problems in Belfast with some management companies. I suspect they haven't enough insurance cover in place, says Alice. Owners get the bill, the leaseholders get the bill, which goes up and up and up. And then she sends a link to the Belfast Telegraph. You probably know this story, Philip. Ireland, owners facing bills of £5,000 each for repairs to Belfast apartment complex. And then Alice says this, I worked in legal during the Celtic Tiger, sold an apartment in a small block. A cute Cork person, a resident, ran a resident now, ran the management company and by gum had he all his ducks in a row. Swanky management companies all show and no go. I better read some more of these before you come back in and I'll get out of your way. <laughs> Angus, Angus says, I bought my house with a lease. It cost £50 a year. However, the rogue management company would deny receipt of cheque and would charge late fees of £300. When I discovered this on forum discussions, I always sent payment by recorded mail. That really ticked off the lease company. And Isabel says, when one buys a leasehold, does the name of the property's owner have to be disclosed or does the leasehold owner have zero clues about who is really owning the building? That's a good question too. I told you, you'd, you'd set them off. I, I thought like, with six, ten million people affected by this, I thought we'd hear from people. This is staggering. So when you buy the leasehold then, do you, is it disclosed to you who owns the property? Well, I think if there's ground rent involved, the solicitor has 
due diligence to find out who the freeholder is because there might be ground rent owing there could be arrears of ground rent but if they can't find out who the freeholder is they may well take an indemnity because sometimes if the freeholders offshore not that easy to find them uh, and there are many offshore um, ground rent companies um, but I, I so you can't always find out who the freeholder is but um, and also the freehold if the freehold sold it might not be on land registry generally on land registry you can see who the freeholder is yeah but what's interesting generally is in a lease it's often tripartite which is three parties you've got the landlord you've got the management company then you've got the sub lessee the sub lessee is the owner the management company are generally ingrained in the lease and then there's a landlord who is either a freeholder or he has some other term he could be a head leaseholder there's different interests in leasehold but the truth is once you've bought that lease you are committed to paying your share of the contribution of the building maintenance that's the entire building roof walls all the structure garden patio anything that's shared and communal has to be split by all the flat owners. and again and with so, so you can see it gives of course with so little scrutiny of the management companies it's wide open for gaming the system and inventing Absolutely. problems angela says this um richie a good thing to do is form a committee to hold the management company to account. Angela says, I manage a development of retirement apartments and the management has to justify to the elderly residents and the committee any items they have to pay for. I'm guessing what Angela says there is the management company has got to provide receipts and stuff and prove as much as you can prove that money needed to be spent here and therefore now we're coming to ask you to, to pay your share of of that bill uh, i'm sure this is not i'm not angela that's a good point but i'm guessing philip you know forming committees that's been done before right well in my situation if you don't mind me going back to no let's go back to your situation, situation yeah absolutely we've got colluding shareholders so we've got directors who won't give the accounts and shareholders who are colluding with them so you've got a situation where flat owners will not support or, or cooperate with me. I'm like a one-man band. They don't, for whatever reason, want to work with me. I'm following the law and, and, and justice will prevail. I'm going to trial tomorrow, Richie. You're back in court tomorrow. I'm going to the magistrate's call to trial and this is a second private prosecution. So we'll see what happens tomorrow. Um, but it's a shame that after sort of 12 visits to court and three convictions, I still don't have my company accounts. That's, that's a shame that. So much wasted court time, non-appearances, excuses for not appearing. One of the convicted parties has never shown up in court once. Why doesn't the judge lose his or her temper and chuck him into prison for a day? I don't no, understand that. One defendant never turned up once in answer to a criminal summons. I've actually subpoenaed that individual tomorrow to take the stand. And I'm 
going to cross-examine him if he turns up. If he turns up. He didn't up. turn up to his own trial and he was convicted in his absence. How, um... Since the, Philip, how stressful since the is conviction, this? Sorry? No, no, since the conviction. Go ahead, I'll ask my question in a moment. Go ahead. Which was 18... The eight, it was, it was, let me just say, it was, eight, it was five years ago. The court bailiff has been chasing that defendant for the court fine, and they can't find him. And he is the bookkeeper of the company. So we've got an odd situation here. Are they connected people? And, and by connected, I mean connected to the deep. establishment. I don't mean connected to Don Corleone, but are they connected to people? Is this how they can get away with it? Because if it was you or me who flagrantly disobeyed a court order at a crown court a criminal order i mean they'd be banging down our door within a couple of days but, but I, what i think is we've got compulsive liars and i'm sorry i can't use any other word they've got liars and deceivers so they support each other and this just goes on and on and the interesting thing is there is a solicitor who owns a flat in the block now i've contacted him many times he won't help me he, he says he will, but he never has, not in five years. Anyway, he's a shareholder. It's not his responsibility. But he has more knowledge than I do. Anyway, we'll see what happens in court. We'll see if anybody turns up in court tomorrow, the defendant or the, the witness who I've called to the stand. Might be that nobody turns up and then the defendant will be convicted in his absence if he chooses not to turn up, because that's what happened last time. This he didn't is... turn up. And he was convicting his absence and he tried to explain to the judge that he never knew there was a trial. Yeah, he knew there was a trial, all right. How, how I mean, the obvious he thing is... He knew there was a trial, and I'll tell you why he knew there was a trial, because his co-director turned up with his wife. Yeah, yeah. And they were actually ushered out of the court because they weren't invited. So the director who came with, with his wife, was ushered out. So the defendant who said he didn't know about the trial was well aware of the trial. But he's just trying to use a loophole to get out of uh, being convicted. But he was convicted anyway. How they stressful can see is lives with judges. Yeah, I, I I bought it in a couple of minutes ago because I maybe I'm a little bit more patient now than I was when I was thirty. But I, <laughs> but I don't I don't think I could put up with it. Like I mean, it must be stressful, Philip. You must be this must be you, you must be beside oh. yourself at times. Not really. When it's wrong, it's wrong, Richie. And there's a principle here. You know, these these guys should not be able to get away with breaking the law. And so I'd pursue it and get my accounts. Um, and, and perhaps, you know, other people are watching the case and it might be helpful to other flat owners to see how it progresses. Because I've had many calls from flat owners asking for help. So it, it's of interest to other people. Um, and it no, might it be that I've taken a particular route that others might not take. But I chose to take this route. It's not over yet. But let's be honest, I still don't have my accounts. I mean, accounts were submitted in May 23. The, the, the abbreviated accounts, and I've requested those accounts, but I just get nothing. The directors won't engage with me. They won't speak to me. They won't will answer me they won't I've, I've called 18 times i've called for a shareholder meeting they just won't engage uh, and let's face it it's the shareholders that own the company not the directors yeah 
Let me read a couple more of these yeah. messages. Um, there's been about 60 through the app for the programme and there's been probably a dozen through the website. For a single yeah. subject, like that's bloody good for any radio show. I mean, there's a lot of interest in this. Um, let me read this from um, Robbie. Robbie says, I'm a leaseholder. I pay £500 per annum. That must be to the management company. They've given me notice. They are putting a new roof on in the next three years and my charge will be £4,000. Holy God. Like, Well, if they, they do major work, they have to issue a Section 20 consultation notice. Anything above £250 a flat, there's got to be a consultation notice. And what's happening, and I've seen it happen, is that some managing agents issue notices and then give work to their own companies. So they keep it in-house. They'll, they'll raise finance and they'll give the work to, to, to companies that they own. And so it's not an arm's length transaction, but it is a way of raising money. And you treat it as a cash cow. Managing agents have been termed and treat flat owners it's a situation like a cash cow in some instances, I'm saying. In some instances. I mean, that's terrible. Claire says, are people in the UK paying upwards of £200,000 for flats they'll never own? Holy cow, says Claire, that's nuts. Now, I know Claire. Claire is Irish. And you'll know this, Philip, because you're a learned man. You're a man of the world. There's a special a little bit. Well, you, well you, you, you'll know, won't you, that there's a special relationship between Irish people and owning a property. We're, we're obsessed yes. by it in Ireland. We're obsessed yes. by it. You know, my better yeah. half is French and her mum has rented her flat from the local authority for about 40 years. And nobody which in is the, normal. Which is normal, normal. Absolutely. It's, it's not unique to the Irish, but we are kind of, it's, it's a special thing owning your property. She can't get her head round that, that's clear. Uh, Graham came on to say uh, he, he likes Angela's comment about um, getting a management committee to take them on. Cliff says this, Richie, I used to own a flat in a small block of five flats. The management company was corrupt as a group of leaseholders and under the right to manage, we took over the management and eventually vetted our own management company. Now, the original management company mm. tried many times uh, and they tried many threats to wrestle back power, but they failed. When it came to extending the lease and then selling it eventually, uh, the, the the management company knew how to play the system and it was very difficult. You've opened some kind of worms here, Philip, with the messages well, coming it, in. It's, it's a big problem and there's a lot of people who are frightened to come forward. Um, but the more people that come forward, the more it is exposes the problem and there's a big problem and it, it's good to share it so that hopefully there can be some progress and, and a form of regulation of managing agents at some point in the future hopefully sooner than later absolutely and i mean that's that, that, that we're hearing a lot of this from our listeners but that's separate to your problem you're in a situation where by law the management company is obliged by law to hand over company accounts to you if you request them. And they're not doing it, despite convictions at Tameside Magistrates Court, at Manchester Crown Court. Yeah. Terrible, that. There's one other thing. Um, that Management companies need to be, and it's mandatory, part of the 
predatory property redress scheme. So the fine for non-compliance is £5,000. So in my wisdom, I chose as a shareholder to subscribe to a property redress scheme as a shareholder of this particular company. They accepted it, we got the certificate, and they found out that it was myself who'd done it, and the directors absolutely were against it, and it's interesting they're against it, because they'd have had to be accountable, the subscription was terminated. Now that's interesting. The subscription was terminated, and therefore they weren't accountable. But, but, but they should have been accountable, and the, the, the property redress screen would have asked them for accounts, and they'd have had to provide them. So now this management company is not with any scheme liable to a fine of £5,000 because it is a mandatory redress scheme and refuse to be a part of any scheme. So really that proves that these schemes, they're not really fit for the job. And that's why I was suggesting an ombudsman with teeth, real teeth would be better. For, for, for the just for the flat market, not yeah. There's no logical the argument. Flat you, yeah, there's no logical argument against an ombudsman with teeth to to scrutinise this type of behaviour and to stop it immediately, and you know to recommend courses of action that might include fines and and whatnot. Wiley says a friend in Ellesmere Port is in this situation, um, similar to yours, Philip, and told me says Wiley that one of the leasehold companies had the brother of a former Prime Minister as a director. I don't know how true, but it all sounds like he, he says a Tory plot slash scam. I'll tell you what it sounds like to me. It sounds like to me that some years ago, the sorts of people who would have engaged in making bets on the stock market, you know, placing put options on stocks and mm. some, some of this crazy stuff that went on in 2008 with these exotic financial products that none of us understand. Mm. Somebody has figured yeah. out somewhere yeah. along the line, you know, we can use the leasehold system of property ownership. We can use it to make an absolute mint. That's what it sounds to me, to be honest. And again, I'm not trying to sensationalise that, but it sounds to me like no. somebody has seen plenty of money to be made and you wonder the, the types of people involved, access to power. Well, John Lewis' pension fund used to own ground rents, but obviously once they were exposed, they disassociated themselves from the ground rent business because it wasn't good for John Lewis' um, credibility that they were involved in owning in their pension fund ground rents. These are the very secure investments ground rents. There's an obligation to pay, and if, if the leaseholders don't pay, you can evict them. Um, so it, it's sort of like a gilt-edge type of investment, which obviously was attractive to John Lewis and other institutions like that. Yeah. So um, it's, it's, it's really going along, along the line that you've just said. It's, you know, it was very attractive to big, big institutions at one point points um and now it's been exposed and but there's still no regulation um and and it's difficult to to really understand why not employ an ombudsman it's not that difficult but they just they don't seem to want to do it it's tragic that so you, you don't trust the i think you're very astute 
to be honest when you say you don't trust that the opposition party will honour their their pledge to do something about it because I mean you could fill I don't know you could fill the Grand Canyon with manifesto pledges that were never honoured or never saw the light of the day yeah yeah you could probably fill space but this is affecting so many people millions and by the Guardian by Labour's admission millions I mean that could be a massive massive vote winner for any party that's right we're going to clean this up just hit the nail on the head it's a vote winner. I think it's too big a problem for Labour to say we're going to resolve it. It's it's a big, big problem. And it's it's a vote winner if they can convince um, people that they can achieve that. No one else has done it. I'm not convinced why Labour think that they can do it. I'm not, I don't think they can do it. I really don't believe that. No, and she might be sincere. Yeah, Nandi herself might be sincere in her horror at the fact that, you know, people are in these types of situations. She she might be. But of course, the machine that is the party and its advisors, of course, is another other thing entirely. Philip, we might just just leave this for today, unless there was anything you thought that we didn't cover that's important, because we've we've covered quite a bit. I again, I'm not just saying this kind of astonished at the size of the reaction from our listeners. I mean, massive. That's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. Maybe the people come out the woodwork when they hear someone talking about something that's close to them. I think people are very disappointed with their purchases. They bought flats and they're getting these big, big bills which they didn't expect. And then they're saying, well, I never knew about this. I mean, why didn't the solicitor warn me? But at the end of the day, you really got to understand what you're buying when you buy a leasehold flat. You're buying into a building which you've got to contribute to the maintenance of. And solicitors need to, to, to be very clear about that with clients. And maybe they are, but maybe not all of them are. It's very important to know exactly what where you're at before you actually exchange and complete on the purchase. Philip, you're obviously an There's articulate nothing- um, man, right? So I'm guessing that you probably did a little bit of homework on this programme before you... Uh, before you consented to coming on, right? So you might know that some reasonably... No, no, I've got to be fair. Some very learned people, academics, they see the world kind of lurching towards totalitarianism. They see a world where increasingly governments and, and uh, yeah, governments, I suppose, want to have more and more control of what we do and, you know, what we can say and who we are. And some, again, some academic people from very, you know, credit, credible academic institutions, they've talked yeah. to me in the past about why houses don't get built. They see that, you know, more, more, not conservative, but more right-wing governments who want more control over people, they like mm. the idea of building massive kind of, um, they call them human settlement zones in cities building up and up and up, where people don't get to own outright, but they have to lease. Now, look, that Mm. might sound like the most silly and immature and not very well thought out of conspiracy theories. But a lot of people, again, who've got a little bit of clout, have been saying things like that, you know, human settlement zones. And, um, you know, we we talk on this programme quite a bit about the what what we call the the World Economic Forum's Great Reset. You know, there are there are groups of people, um, generally unelected groups of people. Some call them oligarchs. Some call them globalists. 
who, who do have a vision for humanity, which isn't marvellous. But um, lots and lots and lots of leasehold flats don't build houses that are affordable. That kind of plays into that agenda. Do you dismiss mm. that as silly conspiracy theory? Is it not relevant whatsoever to you at all? Or what do you think? I don't really have necessarily a view on that theory. I, I look at more of the nuts and bolts of yeah. what's needed um, to, to house the people. The fact that there's a shortage and the fact that city centres, uh, insurance companies are building big, big blocks of apartments. Um, and, you know, people are forced to live in these apartments because they've got no choice. They prefer yeah. to live somewhere else, perhaps. But I do think it's a, a quicker way of um, sorting out the housing shortage by building big, big blocks and getting big companies with big financial clout to build 500 units at a time or 1,000 units at a time. I don't think the government are very keen on small private landlords because they they perhaps want to uh, move things a bit closer to the way things are done in Europe, get rid of Section 21 notice. It means... You can't evict tenants. Private landlords will leave the market. And, and what will happen? Rents will go up. That's the exact opposite that, that they really would want. If you get rid of the Section 21 notice, which is going to happen, that is the only way to evict a tenant. The tenant won't go. The tenant right. will stay. And if the tenant does go, you know, landlords will be forced to put up rents. So, the, the, you know, I think it's that. That, um, that army of small investors, landlords, they're trying to squeeze them out. That's the impression I get. Thanks for answering the question, favor, Philip, yeah. They would favour the bigger institutions who've got a lot of clout and they'll be, build bigger numbers. Excellent. And, and, and do you know what? There, there, there's, there's a marriage there. They're not mutually exclusive, those answers because those people who do believe that they want people to be living in urban areas where they can be more controlled and 15 minute cities and all of that they would say yeah. well yeah I'll agree with Philip I'm going to read one more comment I'll give you the final word Philip and oh by the way I, I nearly forgot to mention um, where people can find you now Philip is on Twitter let me just do that in fact on the pod we're live now it's a live radio show but on the podcast notes I will include a link um, to your Twitter so you can find Philip Thank you. not at all Philip is on Twitter it's at Davis D-A-V-I-S all one word now at Davis 7 Philip at Davis 7 Philip and I will um, put that Twitter handle on the uh, podcast notes so Fred says and then you get the final word Fred says I have owned many flats and I have become director of the leasehold and freehold companies when you buy a flat, you are buying into a commune. That's Fred. Final word to you, Philip, and it's been revealing, to say the least, and really worthwhile. So thanks for coming on. Over to you, final word. Well, I, um, I think that uh, we've covered some interesting points. Uh, I think the government need to reassess uh, this regulation issue and take it a bit more seriously. Uh, because to date it's been discussed, but no one's ever actually gone forward with doing anything. Um, I think regulation is a big issue. In, in, in my words, I would call it a complete regulatory failure. Those are my words on the way managing agents are monitored, which is more or less not at all. And I think many of them know that whatever they do, they can do 
without anyone checking, without any accountability. So they can really more or less charge the service charge they see as fit, which is not really because most other professions, there are bodies to monitor them. But with this one, if you can call it a profession, there's no there's no body really that monitors it. So that's what we need. Good luck tomorrow, Top by the way. Good luck tomorrow. And, um, let, let us know how you get on tomorrow, won't you? I'll, I'll I certainly will tweet do, you. Richie. I will do. Um, brilliant, Thank you Phil. so much for having me on the programme. I Not really at all, mate. It. Thank you. I really appreciate your time, Phil. Lovely. L- lovely to talk to you, Richie. You all too, mate. Best. Godspeed. Bye for now. Philip Crawford at uh, Davis7Philip on Twitter. Uh, check him out there. What a lovely gentleman. And it's it's kind of been staggering, really, the response to this. I mean, it really has. Um I'm just looking, there's still messages coming in. Uh, Dean says, Richie, you'll own nothing but be happy. Says it all, says Dean. Thank you, uh, Dean. And Graham, you're being a bit unkind, Graham. I don't think so. I just don't think it's something that Philip has considered, you know. But um, this situation, of course, with so many millions of people kind of wrapped up in it, tied up in it, it does suit that agenda. That agenda to move people into 15-minute cities and... You know, I I said to, who did I say this to? I can't remember. I was crossing the bridge in in Weast, crossing the M60 in Weast, heading um, towards, towards, towards Daniel Adamson Road. That's right. (laughs) I was crossing the bridge over the motorway in Weast and I'm going towards Daniel Adamson Road. If you Google this on the Google Maps, you'll, you'll see where I mean. And I looked left and I went, wow, Manchester is beginning to look like an American city. And I was watching the ladies tennis final on Saturday because I'm a dirty big pervert. No, I'm not. I'm not. (laughs) I'm not. You take your pleasures where you can find them. I was watching uh, Iga Sviatek. Is that how you pronounce the name? Sviatek or Sviantek? Sviatek. Regain her French Open ladies singles title. On Saturday, and um, my better half, who's French, as you well know, you've heard that too many times. She came in and she said, "Oh, you're watching uh, Roland Garros." I said, "I am," and they had this beautiful camera shot above the Philippe Chartier Stadium. Again, if I pronounce that wrong, I really apologise. Up went the drone, and you could see Paris in the distance, and Paris looked like a massive American city. Now, I, I look, my memory is there to be shot down to be challenged but I I think some years ago because I do tend to watch a lot of sport me and I won't say I watch every game or every day of the French Open but I'll watch bits of it when I'm doing my my prep for the show but I'm sure I've seen shots of Paris in the past and it didn't look like Metropolis now Manchester is looking like Metropolis Liverpool is on the way there Birmingham so this is happening like Philip said building up in city centres and I suppose as more and more people are being encouraged to work hybrid hours, meaning you might do two days at home or three days in the office or three days at home and two days in the office, eventually um, people will be working at home pretty much five days a week. And then you've got lots and lots and lots and lots of property where people did go to work in city centres. Those properties are now vacant the real estate is worthless because um, 
well, it's not worthless, but you couldn't put a business there. So you couldn't take over um, that that business and maybe put a, a clothes shop there or or a restaurant maybe. So real estate people will come in, take over those premises where once people worked in a call centre or they worked in financial services or whatever, they will commandeer or buy up these places and knock them down and start building up again. The apartments will be small apartments, won't they? They won't be apartments like three, four bedroom apartments, duplexes. No, there, there won't be any of that nonsense. Sorry, three, four bedrooms and duplexes are lovely. <laughs> I wouldn't mind owning one. But they'll be smaller apartments, won't they? And people will be tied into these leaseholds. And they can be gouged by management companies, inventing, telling fairy tales about stuff that needs to be done. So we've got to take £300 from you next month. Why? Well, because we've got to replace all the drains or we've got to do this or to do that 27 minutes past the hour of 6 o'clock. So it is. This is the Richie Allen Show. With me, Richie Allen, broadcasting live from Salford. I don't know if we've had thunder, have we? I'm not sure if we have. Thunder was uh, promised to us this afternoon in heavy rain. But I'm in an air-conditioned radio studio talking to you. So I just don't know. More of your comments when I come back. Now, come here and tell you, that's the Eagles and life in a fast lane. This is a really cool radio studio. Not because it's cool, right? But um, because it's got really great windows that are very thick they're like treble glazing so that we don't hear too much from outside because i'm obviously in our house in our home but despite the windows have a listen to this i don't know if you can hear this can you hear it that's the storm raging outside there was me thinking i'll finish up the radio show today and i'll take a chilled beer there's still a couple left from the weekend and i'll have a cold beer outside jesus climate change we're dead we're all doomed i tells you we're doomed i'm like your man i can't think of his name in friday the third i can't even say it just be honest richie stop putting on airs and graces friday the 13th that's more like it do you hear that that's loud it's biblical that it's just um, i feel very embarrassed all the times i denied climate change we're all going to die if we don't stop if we don't stop eating meat and if we don't stop flying on short-haul flights back to Dublin for the old hen night and the old hen do and all of that. Um, we're going to die, and it's our children. Our children will never forgive us. How can you go from 30 degrees to that? It's got to be climate change. I'm only joking. While we listen to the rain, it's very atmospheric. Will B says, Richie, there are thousands and thousands of properties in the north and coastal communities sitting empty and boarded up. No one wants to live there. No local economic activity, just problems with drugs and alcohol. It's bad, but they are homes. There is no shortage, says Will. Well, that's interesting, Will. You'll remember over the years listening to very well-read women and men talking about driving people away from rural areas and driving people away from from coastal areas into the settlement zones. Yeah, 
mean, that makes sense. Hi to Teddy. Hi, Teddy. Who says, Richie, did you see the BBC article on the launch of a new satellite to survey UK housing stock for heating efficiency? Isn't this the kind of data needed to force people into high-rise 15-minute cities? Something Robert, the barrister in Hong Kong, mentioned a year or so ago. It's exactly what was mentioned by Robert on this programme. Very well remembered, Teddy. 100% right. Honest, there's really good soundproofing here. And it's just belting off the windows. I to Julie, who says, And Nottingham, Richie. Many, many, many stack and packs. Nottingham, city centre, growing up as well. Cities will look like the cities of American fiction. Although not fiction, but you know, we watched our fictional TV shows and our films when we were younger and we were marvelling at the massive cities. I'll be honest with you, in 2002, I spent a few days in New York City. Alone, by the way. And I nearly died, really. Like I hadn't been there. You know, it was my first visit to the United... In fact, my only visit to the United States. And I was in downtown Manhattan. And then I was in Brooklyn. And you're looking across the river and you see this thing. And they talk about New York, you know, 8 million people. Would be a great place for young people to live. Exciting. I was a young man then. 23, 24. I couldn't think of anything worse, to be honest, than living in New York. I enjoyed visiting it, but I couldn't imagine living in one of those buildings. I thought, no, 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 thank you. Christine says, Richie, I lived in England when the kids were young. I could never understand people buying houses with a leasehold. Maybe it's because I'm Irish. And she says, good luck to Philip tomorrow. Well, that's it, Christine, it is. You know, most of my friends had the buy-your-own-house bug. I was always a bit different, a bit simple, me. A bit, not simple, but a bit... I was always a bit different. And I didn't have that bug in my 20s. When I was working on local radio and, you know, you're thinking about, right, I've got a job here now. And I never looked too far into the future. I didn't even think too much about my own career prospects. So I never thought about buying. I rented a house in O'Brien Street in Waterford City. And sometimes I had a roommate and sometimes I didn't. I was on my own. But I never really thought about trying to get on the property ladder, to use that well-worn cliche. It's funny, isn't it? It just never... Never did it for me. Um, Peter says, regarding the major cities across the UK and Europe beginning to look like 15-minute cities and large quantities of people crammed into these urban areas, perhaps not as extreme, but it definitely draws parallels with the dystopian 1981 film starring Kurt Russell entitled Escape from New York. Yes, Peter. Did John Carpenter do that? I think he might very well have done. Very good. Cat came on to say, Hi Cat, interesting chat, Richie. My issue at the moment is the ridiculous so-called standing charges on energy meters which have been inherited, often stuck on the sides of houses from years back, whereby the customer is expected to pay huge amounts daily for the rental of said meters, which are to benefit the supplier, not the customer, says Cat. You see, this radio show, eh? I didn't know anything about that. Tell me more about this. Standing charges on energy meters inherited, stuck on the sides of houses from years back. So when a house changes hands, the new owner of the house is liable to pay for the rental of said meters, 
which don't benefit the owner of the house, they benefit the supplier of the power. That's the first I've heard of this cat. I'll need to learn more about this, to be honest with you. Bill says a lot of landlords in Blackpool are now selling their properties rather than renting them out as the heat insulation regulations and the general bureaucracy of renting flats is becoming a pain in the ass and not worth the hassle, says Bill. And he means renting out the flats. Um, Heat insulation regulations and bureaucracy bureaucracy of renting out flats is becoming a pain in the backside so landlords in Blackpool some are selling the properties rather than renting out again who does that benefit and Marge has been on hi Marge Richie flats are being built in Glasgow all over the place not just the city centre also high speed broadband is being put in everywhere by city fibre they say it's for 5G, the Internet of Things and Smart Cities, among other things. And Davy has been on to say it's nice and sunny here in Glasgow. We've got a healthy listenership in Glasgow. Now this afternoon, maybe into this evening, I don't know, but Parliament, the House of Commons, was coming together to debate a change to the Equality Act to, to protect biological sex let Joe Coburn from Politics Live on the BBC explain a bit more. I didn't have time to do this in the monologue, so we'll do it now because it's very important. Joe Coburn, what's going on? Now, MPs are going to be debating the legal definition of sex this afternoon. It's because two petitions from either side of the debate received more than 100,000 signatures. And because of that, there will be this debate in Westminster Hall later today. Now, here's one of the uh, petitions. It says, update the Equality Act to make clear the characteristic sex is biological sex. And you can see here it's uh, got 109, uh, 463 to be precise, signatures. Um, This petition asked the government to change the Equality Act to make it clear that in UK law, sex means biological sex and not sex as modified by a gender recognition certificate. Now, then there is the other petition. It has a a different view. Uh, Commit, it says, to not amending the Equality Act's definition of sex and it has nearly 139,000 signatures. This petition said that the change to the Equality Act proposed in the first petition would remove legal protections for trans people, an already marginalised group. Now, she speaks, I think, to two people. Let's have a listen. Let's welcome our two guests to discuss this. Maya Forstatter, who set up that first petition you heard. She's the director of Sex Matters, which campaigns on this issues. And by Robin Moira White, a barrister, an author who's written a book about transgender law. Welcome to both of you. Uh, Maya, why did you set up this petition calling for the legal definition of sex to be changed? To make the Equality Act clear so that it protects everyone's rights, there are already protections in the Equality Act for transgender people. It's called gender reassignment. And there are protections against sex discrimination for both men and women, which come originally from the Sex Discrimination Act. And when the Equality Act added gender reassignment, it didn't mean to destroy women's rights. Those two characteristics, just like others, age, disability and so on, are different characteristics. And so what we're asking the government to do is just to make clear that sex in the Equality Act means sex, and that if you have a gender recognition certificate, mm-hmm. which is which is a certificate that lets people, for example, get married in a, a different legal sex or to collect a pension, that doesn't change their sex for the purposes of sex discrimination protection. 
Robin, why did you sign the second petition which said the law shouldn't be changed? Well, sex under the Equality Act is, is more complex than biological sex. And if we accommodate trans people in our society, if someone becomes a trans man, they, they transition from female to male, then they want to live their life as male. And the law needs to treat them in their acquired gender for them effectively to live in society. And the what, what he said there was the law needs to treat people in their brand new gender so that they can enjoy living in society. This is a point that's been made by many people on this programme. Effectively, that means we want everybody to participate in our fantasy. We are men, but we fantasise about... No, 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 no. That's unfair. We are men. We might have gender dysphoria or, or something else along those lines. We prefer... To, to dress as and to live as if we are women. You must participate in that. And that's why the law needs to stay as it is, that you've got to go along with it, irrespective of whether you think it's crazy or whether you think it's silly or, or whatever. That's what he means here, this guy. The proposed change would effectively banish trans people from the, their normal place in society. Would banish their... Trans people from their normal place in society. No, it would mean that people would not be compelled to use your pronouns. People would not be compelled, or women wouldn't be compelled to accept it if a trans woman, which is a man, decides that, well, I'm at the swimming baths or the swimming pool. I'm going to use a lady's changing room. Ladies in that changing room, real ladies with vaginas and ovaries, they might say, I don't want you in here with your dangly bits. I don't feel safe. He's saying, no, 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 society has got to go along with this and uh, it's a bit mad. Now, she comes back in on this Maya Force data from Sex Matters. Right. Well, Maya, what do you say to that? If that's the practical consequences, Robin sees it, of the change that you are proposing. It, it, that's nonsense. The law, the Equality Act doesn't tell men and women how to live. If somebody wants to change their name, change their pronouns, uh, change their style of dress, their hairstyle, uh, call themselves what they like, some people take hormones, some very, very few people have surgery, but that is a very small minority. Most trans people don't. Uh, there's nothing in the Equality Act that says that to be a man, you have to be manly and to be a woman, you have to be womanly. It just says that employers and service providers shouldn't treat people unfairly because they're a man or a woman. And then it says there are very specific situations where you are allowed to have basically a policy or a sign on the door that says female only. And those are situations such as where women are getting undressed, where they're vulnerable, where they're sleeping. So dormitories, changing rooms, showers, communal showers, uh, you know, communal changing rooms in the gym, mental health wards, mm. hospital wards, women's refuges. And all of those places are places where women should be able to expect that where it says female only, it means female only. And that doesn't mean that service providers shouldn't also uh, accommodate trans people, but they can't accommodate trans people while giving women assurance uh -huh. that a space is going to be single sex All and right. mean single sex. Uh, Robin, what do you say in response? What does Robin say? The Equality Act doesn't force anyone to use anything. No, we're not going to hear um, Robin. L listen to her takedown of um, this old trans ideology and pretty much what I said a moment ago, but she says it much more eloquently. The Equality Act doesn't force anyone to use any particular facilities. It just makes it lawful for service providers to exclude them. And the obvious thing to do, and, and most large places, you know, large venues, pubs, airports, 
universities and so on already think about transgender people and non-binary people and they have unisex options so this is not about forcing somebody into a place that they don't want to be it's about being clear about the places they're allowed to be and where they're not and robin says that robin is somatically female to me I see Robin as a man. Many people see Robin as a man and be just as uncomfortable undressing in a space with Robin as any other man. And that's not to say that Robin's feelings of identity are not real. They just don't have a place in a space where women and girls are getting undressed. Absolutely. Robin. Your feelings of identity are real, but they don't have any basis in reality. That's a great contradiction. They are real, your feelings, but they're not mired in you know, tangible reality. You're not a woman, however much you might, long, might, might like to live as one. It really should be a fairly simple debate, this. And it doesn't need to be so um, toxic, does it? It's fairly straightforward. You have a penis. You were born with a penis. You are a biological male. Now, Craig says, and I don't necessarily agree with this, but it doesn't matter. And I don't have all day to get into it. He says, biological sex is not the same as anatomical sex. Mm. I don't agree with that. He says there are many chromosomal disorders that do not fall into the classic XX and XY categories that define biological sex. But the answer is in your statement, Craig. Chromosomal disorders, right? He says anatomical sex by comparison is determined by exterior genitalia. Biological sex is determined by exterior genitalia. And of course the chromosomes, I get it. There is a trap being laid here that people need to be aware of. The prime weapon of the educated or intellectual, says Craig, is words. And this is what we really need to understand, what the damn words actually mean, rather than what we think they mean. Yeah, but semantics, right? We're talking about a fairly basic issue here, and that is a biological male, intact, with his wedding tackle, shouldn't have the right to... Um, enter a space that has been reserved exclusively for biological females. The biological male who's gone through puberty and all that goes with that, who's stronger physically in most cases and faster in most cases, should not be permitted to participate in women's sports. And in my opinion, it's just my bloody opinion, I've got to say that time and time again, I don't care how much treatment you've had on, you know, removing testosterone, I, you know, how you've brought your testosterone levels down, it doesn't matter. You're not a woman. You shouldn't be competing with women. And comment of the day so far comes from Busy, who says, the woke movement's achievements in a nutshell. If Bernard Manning, by the way, was a great stand-up comedian, very blue, controversial, but funny, very funny, um, he'd have had some night on Saturday night, wouldn't he, Bernard Manning? He was a big City fan. Um, if he was alive today, he wouldn't be allowed to say to a 20-year-old woman in the audience, if you were my niece, I'd still be bathing you. He wouldn't be allowed to say that, says Busy. But he would be allowed to wear nothing but a tong, a thong and a gimp mask to present Jack and Nori. <laughs> yeah, there is that. Jenny says, here in Ireland, small landlords pay much higher tax rates than corporate landlords, a.k.a. vulture funds. There is absolutely no justification for this. It's pure corruption, says Jenny. <laughs> Richard Kelly. 
Richard, I don't even know if I'm going to read that out because I don't know what that means. He says, I built my home eight years ago from three 45-foot Avonmore milk trucks and it is heaven and didn't cost too much. Oh, it looks like it's serious. Now, a friend is building one here in my yard from one unit and will take it to his site when it's finished. It will cost him about 25k finished. That's really interesting. Very interesting. Let me go back to the comments about the uh, conversation we had with Philip there. Uh, Graham says, Davy says, Michael says, I read those. Michael says, the suppliers, speaking to what Kat said, don't own the meters. Third party companies do, says Michael. I don't get this. This is crazy. Kat says that you could buy a house and end up with standing charges because an ener- energy meter is attached to the house, may have been attached years ago, and the new owner of the house is expected to pay huge amounts for the rental of these said meters, which are not to benefit the, the, the homeowner. In fact, only to benefit the supplier. I still can't get my head around this. I'm going to have to look into it. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do now. I'm going to talk very briefly about the 17th of September, which um, is... Let me just double-check on this, because I'm an agent, really, me. I'm an agent, me. 17th of September, yes, Sunday. So an evening with the BBG will take place on the 17th of September, which is a Sunday. It'll be a late afternoon gig like 4pm, 5pm, around about that time, right? And it's something, I talked about it on the Melodies programme yesterday, but um, a lot of people don't listen to the Melodies programme. Most people listen to this programme. It's where the listeners are, is here. So um, I wanted to do this back in 2019, in fact, 2020. And in 2019, I wrote a two-hour show, a comedy I don't want to say a comedy show, because it's not like traditional stand-up, where I'd just be standing there like a comedian saying things, and hopefully either you'd laugh or I would die on my arse and have to go to a mental institution to get over the humiliation. It wouldn't be like that, but, but not unlike that. I was going to take us on a bit of a journey through printing press media to the present day, kind of what went wrong with the media. And I'd gathered plenty of um, audiovisual material and some of the crazy things that I've been saying to you in monologues for years, silly things that come into your head, written them all down and had a funny show, or at least I thought I had a funny show, but also an educational one. And I I had been in touch with promoters and a couple of theatre owners and we were good to go for 2020. And then we all know what happened in 2020 and everything closed down. So it just fell by the wayside. So during the FA Cup final, out of the blue, that was um, a week last Saturday, Manchester City were beating Manchester United. And Paul and myself retired to the garden to have a couple of cold beers after the game, lick our wounds and uh, console ourselves with tall tales about United coming back from the dead and winning it all next year. Maybe fat chance. But I threw in, I said, you know what, Paul? Let's do an evening, you know, a, a public appearance thing where I get a chance to meet some of our listeners. And the only place to do that is the Fab Cafe because there's a great relationship between the Fab Cafe, Fab Radio, which Paul runs, and which is owned by Mike. Paul's a great friend and, and my friend, but he's Paul's great friend. And Mike also owns Fab Cafe. 
And I said, you know, you've always been there for us since 2014. Wouldn't it be great if we had the kind of first evening with uh, Richie Allen or the BBG in, in Fab Cafe? So it's going ahead. And I reckon sometime next week, maybe the middle of next week, we'll have ticketing information. We're thinking somewhere between 150 and 200 will fit in. It's a good place to start, really. You've got to learn to walk before you can run. And you just don't know, do you? You know, the radio show has a very healthy listenership, spread out all over the world. The podcast is downloaded more than two million times a month. But that doesn't mean that you can hold a talk an evening in Manchester and that you'll be sold out. So we just don't know. And that's not modesty. That's just me telling the truth. We don't know. But we're going to go ahead and do it anyway. And uh, I'm looking, I really am looking forward to it. It'll be so nice to say hello to people whom I've never met. You know, I've maybe read a comment from you. Maybe you've sent me an email. Maybe you've supported the programme at some stage in the last eight years. You've said, I'll tell you what, I'll send a fiver to the Richie Allen Show. How wonderful. And I'll be able to say, you know, after after we have a chat, I'll be sticking around and having a beer. Some people call it meet and greet, but that's a bit... um, that's a bit precious, meet and greet. I'm nobody important. It's not meet and greet. We just have a chat then. You know, tell a few tall tales, bit of a chat, bit of, bit of crack, couple of beers. And then um, I'll, at some stage, an hour or, or, or so afterwards, we'll just fall into a taxi and fall home, basically. That's how I see it going. And uh, Paul thinks, yep, yeah, we can do that. So that's coming really soon. And, as I said, ticketing information really soon right so I hope that you'll be able to attend attend I hope you'll be able to come and I'll be able to say hello to you you'll be able to turn up right that's it for the programme again thank you so much to our guest today um, Philip Crawford really interesting stuff huge reaction to that from people who find themselves in a similar situation 10 million people in the UK affected by this it opened up so many other areas of discussion so good luck to Philip tomorrow in his court case, his ongoing efforts for justice, because that's really what it all comes down to, for justice for him. We'll be back tomorrow. Kate Shemarani, the nurse, will be on with me tomorrow. Um, Been ages since uh, she was on last. I'm looking forward to chatting with her. She seems to be in good form. So Kate will be on with, with me tomorrow. Before Kate, Tony Gosling will be winging in to talk about something specific. So Tony and Kate are our guests tomorrow. I'm pretty sure that on Wednesday... I'm going to give over the whole programme to a phone-in on Wednesday. So it's uh, shaping up to be a decent week here at BBG Towers. Thanks again to Philip. Thanks to you for listening. Look after yourselves and one another then.